Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we bring you an in-depth conversation with a creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Lauren Rhodes, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm bringing you a double feature, Conversations with Jamal Cyrus and Maud Schuyler Clay, two artists who have special exhibitions now at the Mississippi Museum of Art. I'm talking first with Jamal Cyrus via Zoom. Jamal is a Houston-based multidisciplinary artist whose expansive practice explores the evolution of African-American identity within Black political movements and the African diaspora. His exhibition, The End of My Beginning, is on view now through March 5th, 2023 at the Mississippi Museum of Art. Welcome, Jamal. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. First of all, congratulations on your exhibition. It's absolutely stunning. Um, I do want to talk more about the exhibition, of course, but I thought we could first start with your beginnings, as it were. Um, You grew up in Houston? I did. I'm a native Houstonian. And um, yeah, so a lot of my kind of really formative art experience, art educational experiences happened here in the city. And were you drawn to art as a child? Uh, I went to a, what's called a magnet school here in Houston, Texas. Um, And it was a, it was HS, well, high school for the performing and visual arts. I was going to say by the acronym HSPVA, but high school for the performing and visual arts. And there I I began studying photography first. Hmm. And I was, that's what I wanted to do for a while um, until I went to undergrad and the place I went to didn't really have a strong photography program. So I started to branch out into other kind of visual arts mediums. So from an early age, you knew you wanted to pursue a career in the arts? Since around 16, 17, yeah. Okay. And I um, I read somewhere that you come from a, a musical family? I do. Um, I, come, I come from a... Um, family of gospel musicians primarily. And so although I, I don't play anything or really sing, you know, that I believe has had a really, um, had a large influence on, on my work and how I think about music. And, and so, um, yeah, I don't really deal with it in sound too much, but I try to translate those things into visual, some of those concepts and ideas into visual form. So, and, and a lot of your work is, of course, multimedia, sculpture. When did you, you said you started branching into different mediums in college. Um, when did you discover sculpture and, and how did that begin for you? Oddly enough, uh, well, I, I did do some uh, kind of clay sculpture in that, you know, like ceramics and that kind of thing in, in undergrad, but um, 
I would say really photography helped me to find my sculptural sensibility, oddly enough. Um, and the time that I was studying photography was is when digital media started to become more of a part of, of that kind of education. And I really wasn't satisfied by just printing out images. I, I really wanted to use images as part of other objects as, you know, to basically bring them into the world in a different kind of way. Um, and so that's, yeah, oddly enough, like really, I would say photography um, kind of introduced me to, to sculpture. Very cool. Um, well, let's, let's talk about your, your exhibition because it covers a large period of your work. Is it, it's about 15, 17 years, is that, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 17 years. Will you tell us a little more about the title, The End of My Beginning, and where that, that came from? Hmm. So The End of My Beginning comes from one of the artworks in the exhibition, really the first artwork that you get to in the exhibition. And um, it's, it's a, a kind of a miniature kind of scale piece um, and has uh, a small kind of two-story house. By small, I'm saying like a train scale size. Okay. Um, two-story house and, and kind of like a yard landscape. And all of that is covered in, in black hair. Um, and there are these people who are trying to make their way kind of through the hair it's kind of like a, a, a hair blizzard, oddly enough. Uh -huh. But um, but that was that was really um, about thinking about like the 1960s and thinking about the concept of of revolution and trying to um, I guess visualize that in what I thought to be a, a unique way. And is that one of so the- So there are these people. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so there are these people who are trying to make their way through this hair, which is kind of like a blizzard, which is, you know. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the, the end of my, uh, of my beginning is, is thinking about, you know, the revolutionary history of America, but particularly the, the late 60s, early 1970s. Well, and throughout your work and, and hearing you talk about your work in um, a gallery talk you recently gave, you're really inspired by history, um, especially Black history and culture, all the way from ancient Egypt through the transatlantic slave trade to the 1960s. Have you always been interested in, in history? Um, I hadn't really been that interested in history until um, until like the late 80s, early 90s, where I started to get exposed to, you know, histories which I, I really was not educated on in school. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really piqued my interest. And at the same time that I was learning about this information, I was in the art program. And so there was just this kind of transference, you know, of that information into what I was doing as, as, a, as an artist. Um, but I was also in a program at the time that was really, um, really into using 
your artistic practice in order to understand yourself, understand, you know, um, your community, your, your nation, you know, so. So there was a natural transference into the, the artistic pro process. And I imagine, you know, it's, it's freeing to not have to be a historian and have, have to, you know, follow certain, certain guidelines. You can kind of explore as you want and follow your interests. Is that, has that right. been for you? Right, that has been. I mean, early on, it was more kind of like one-to-one about things I'd learned into the artworks, but as kind of time went on, I, I started to use history more, more liberally um, or, or just bringing in things, um, bringing in things into the work that are not part of like the dominant historical record, you know, like right. oral histories and things of that nature. One thing that I found really fascinating that's part of the exhibition, and I'm, I'm, I'll hope you, you talk a little bit about it, are the, um, the FBI, the, the FOIA uh, papers mm -hmm. um, and how you translate those, that, that idea um, into a work of art. Can you uh -huh. talk about that, that room of the exhi exhibition? Yeah, so... Um... Well, one of the, when I first started to become exposed to those types of documents, I was learning about or kind of doing research on the history of the Black Panther Party. And the Black Panther Party at the time that it was, um, part of its life was considered to be, it was considered to be like one of the kind of key um, enemies of the of the U.S. government, so there was a lot of surveillance of of their activities and, and members of the party, etc. And within the the um, the books I was reading, they would also include these these types of documents. And that was the first time I had really seen, you know, um, I guess uh, really had seen a redaction and kind of was just really. Um, taken by its power, right? Like its visual power, but also tying it to the idea of, of, um, of erasure and of kind of like um, uh, making a gap in the historical record, right? And so I sat with them for a while and uh, was just trying to figure out what to do with them. And um, eventually I decided to to get rid of all the text in the document, um, but just use the redaction. And at first I was finding out about various activists, you know, like, you know, standard activists, Malcolm X, you know, Martin Luther King, what I could of, the, of his file. But later on, I started to see how that was, it was much more widespread than I had thought, right? Or had known and also included um, and started finding out about artists who are also included in that, um, that kind of surveillance and using them in, in, and so began using those documents in my work. Um, it's, it comes across as kind of a, at least in the pieces in the show, they're primarily textile works made from denim. Mm -hmm. So the redaction, you know, it kind of looks like a patch or it kind of looks, mm. it, it shares a similar language to, um, some of the, uh, you know, cool set are made, made in the American South, you know? So I, I really wanted to, to make that connection. And um, 
yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing right now with the, with those works and and continuing to to try to develop them and and make them better and yeah. And how did you start using denim? Because I think it, you know, just looking at the piece initially, I wouldn't have known that it was the same material as you know a pair of jeans. It's as a blue jeans. Yeah, it's so fascinating how you you use that material. How did how did you start working with denim as part of that process? So I had seen the photograph of uh, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, when they were doing some uh, registration in Mississippi. And they were all wearing denim. And so that, you know, that kind of, that, that style element started to have a kind of political resonance with me. And that was the first thing that attracted me to denim. That is fascinating. So Ali, Ali, Mississippi, yeah, has a has a really place, has a, a very strong, important place in, in the creation of those works. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today, I'm talking with artist Jamal Cyrus and photographer Maud Schuyler Clay. Welcome back, Jamal. So while we were on break, we were talking a little bit about where you've exhibited your work, um, The End of My Beginning. So can you talk about um, where the, this exhibit started? Sure. Um, the exhibition started in Houston, Texas at the Blaffer Museum, which is on the uh, University of Houston campus. Then went to the Institute of Contemporary Art LA and then to uh, the Mississippi Museum of Art. And how has each experience been unique for you? Yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting because, um, you know, Houston is my hometown and the place where a lot of this, well, most of this work was made. And so it, it's, it was, um, I guess, reflective in a, in, a, um, in, a, in a different kind of way, or I don't want to say nostalgic kind of way, but, but really kind of sitting with the works and kind of feeling time. Mm. Up, up for me quite a bit with uh with the first show and then with the second show you know there's a there's a, a strong connection between some of the LA and some of the politics that are in the work as well as some of the visual artists that really inspire me you know inspire my work um such as David Hammonds, Betty Sarr, Sing and Goody these are all people who spent time in, in LA um and then Mississippi you know um as of uh, late, my work has been more um, influenced or inspired by Southern vernacular art, visual art, and, and the blues. And so 
Um, so they've all had really interesting kind of like all the, the locations of venues have had really interesting resonances in terms of the, you know, what the work is about. And um, one thing that's speaking of, you know, Mississippi connections and the blues, music is a huge theme throughout your work. And it's just in, in a number of different ways through, you know, music history, musical instruments, records. How does, does music just make its way naturally into your work? Hmm. Uh, it does kind of make its way naturally into my work. Um, and for two reasons, I think music was one of the things that I really used to build my identity when I was a younger person, right? Uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> but, um, but then there's also the idea of really being interested in um, American music and trying to tap into the aesthetics or the vitality of a, you know American music mm -hmm. and bringing and bring that into the work too. So on one way, it is very natural, but in another way, it's, it's very purposeful in terms of like the kind of energy that I'm trying to, to, to like evoke with, with the work and yeah. Uh, and, and one thing I was just kind of thinking of, um, you know, while looking at your, your pieces and thinking about how music is such an, obviously an, an auditory experience, when mm -hmm. you're creating a visual piece, are you thinking about how to communicate sound? Is that something that you, you, you think about? Um, because I certainly think that a lot of your pieces evoke sound even though you're viewing them in silence mm -hmm. yeah uh with some of the pieces um particularly like the the, the record display the pride records pieces mm -hmm. um i was thinking quite a bit about how image and text play out in influencing the viewer to come up with a particular sound right yeah but but the other pieces uh not as much i think they're more they're more focused on kind of like functionality you know um yeah functionality and ritual and that kind of thing in regards to music um speaking of of ritual too i think a piece that a lot of people are going to be interested in is the uh texas fried tenor which is mm -hmm. a deep a deep fried saxophone and i encourage folks to look up a video of, of the, the ritual that you, you, you do to deep fry a saxophone, which is, is on display, it's part of the exhibit. Can you talk about tenor, uh, Texas Fried Tenor, um, the process and what that piece means? Yeah, so uh, as you're saying, the, the making of the work is kind of a happening, um, a performance piece, which starts with um, purifying the space, which starts with um, preparing and breading the saxophone, frying it, you know, then, the, then there's that sound element, and then um, that leads to the creation of the sculpture. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's really kind of a, like a, a multimedia experience. Um, and for me, it's really, it, it, it's, it's about a particular tradition of tenor saxophonists who came out of the, the state of Texas, 
who were very influential um, in, you know, R&B music, soul music, jazz, and who were really known to have a, a, a really kind of soulful, bold, like wide open kind of sound with their horn. And so it's kind of a commemoration to that, that tradition of, of, of music making in that group of artists. Well, it's so striking. The entire exhibition is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's one of those that you're gonna wanna see, visit multiple times just to see everything in detail. Um, thank you so much, Jamal, for, for being here with us today. Um, and I hope that everyone is able to, to see your work at the Mississippi Museum of Art. Thank you, Lauren. I had a great time speaking with you. We're now starting the second half of our show, and I'm here in the studio with Maudie Schuyler Clay. A Mississippi photographer with generational roots, Maudie records history as a visual archivist, illuminating the domestic, agricultural, and civic manners of the Mississippi Delta. Her exhibition, Portraits of a Place, features nearly 100 photographic works and is on view now through March 5th, 2023 at the Museum of Art. Thank you so much for being in the studio with us today, Madi. And well, thank you for having me. Congratulations on the beautiful new exhibition. Um, it's just gorgeous, and I hope everyone is able to visit it. What's it like seeing these photos, many of which depict your, your home, your family, your hometown, all together at the Art Museum? Well, I have to right off the bat give credit to uh, my curator Phoenix Savage who really put the show together I mean I did the work over the last 35 or 40 years but Phoenix was the curator and she brought a new perspective to my work and you know we chose the photographs together but it was wonderful to see the, the whole show from the point of view of her, uh, Phoenix, who's a anthropologist, an educator, uh, activist, I mean, you name it. <laughs> so when she came in there and kind of, you know, whipped that show into shape, I was, I was so glad to see that it, it all worked when I walked in there. And so y'all worked together to select yeah, all the photos. Yeah, we did. She, she uh, and the other curator from the museum is Ryan Dennis, and she came uh, with Phoenix a couple of times to Sumner, and, you know, we talked about what the show was going to be like, but you never know when you're talking about a show what it's really going to be mm -hmm. like. And we went through mountains of photographs, and we talked about a lot of things. And then Phoenix came back another two times. And somehow we hammered together the show. But I have to say a lot of the credit goes to Phoenix Savage. And um, had y'all worked together before on well, other we projects? We knew each other for, I guess we met maybe in the late 90s and... She had come to the University of Mississippi. She was getting a degree in something there. And somebody that we knew, a mutual friend, introduced us. So, yes, we've known each other for a long time, but this is the first real project we've worked on. That's amazing. 
Um, well, I want to go back a little bit, and you've been on the Arts Hour before for one of your previous books, Delta Dogs, Book of Photography. Um, but I want to talk about your your beginnings. How did you first become interested in photography? Well, um, I was a little kid with a first a brownie star flash and then an Instamatic. <laughs> And, you know, I did the usual, photographed my pets and my siblings and my surroundings with a pretty crappy, I mean, bad <laughs> camera. <laughs> and somehow, when I was about 10, I took this one picture. It sounds like, you know, the decisive moment, but... I was I had set some little plastic horses that I had in the grass and I got down on my elbows and took a picture kind of through the grass of those plastic horses hmm. and you know the photography at that time and for many years after was you don't just take a picture and then you look at it immediately like you do digitally but you had to eat in this case take it to the drugstore they'd come back with these little prints and when when that little print came back of the horses in the grass a light bulb kind of mm. went off and I thought you know I would like to do this and and I had also been you know just a student of Life magazine around the house, and my gr my grandfather was a photographer, uh, but as a hobby, he, he took photographs on these glass plate negatives, so, mm -hmm. some of which are in that show. Uh, I wanted to give that backstory about photography, and it, it always just being a part of my life because my grandfather who died in 1949 before I was even born, was very interested in photography as a hobby. And um, what I think is so incredible about uh, this project to this exhibition is that it shows your home place and how it's changed over decades. Um, and that starts with your family, too. Well, all the stuff is still there. <laughs> I've been known as a hoarder or a collector, but the grandparents include this is the photographer grandfather built the house on Cassidy Bow in about nineteen ten and there was three long generations of people in that house and and it's a big house so a lot of things never got thrown out, and I think in in many ways that's that's a marvel because you can excavate history, you know, letters, photographs, books. So it was a neat place to grow up, I must say. So many good stories. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Music. 
Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I am talking with photographer Maudie Schuyler Clay. So before the break, we were talking about how you became interested and started off in photography. Um, and now we're, you know, we'll, we'll move on a little bit later to uh, your relationship with uh, photographer William Eggleston. He was your mentor and, and cousin. How did you start working with him? Well, um, his, mo- his mother and my mother were sisters who grew up in that house that I live in now. And he was always the most interesting relative (laughs) in the bunch. But he's about 14 years older than I. And he was taking photographs for as long as I remember. And he was actually a child while my grandfather was alive, Bill was born in 1939, and my grandfather died in 1949. So, um, you know, he got the full brunt of my grandfather's <laughs> shtick, shall we say, and got interested in photography very early on. And the, his dark room was in that place, and as I said, he left all those glass plate negatives, um, and and I never knew the man, but mm. but actually Bill did know him, and he was a big influence in our lives, mainly because you know he'd built that place, he, he had this cotton farm, and um, I'm still living under his largesse wow. in that yeah. house, but. Bill, as I said, was an iconic, kind of eccentric, very interesting person to know. I mean, he would ride around in his Ferrari with a long leather coat and, you know, things that you didn't normally see around Sumner, Mississippi. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when I, I had a brief stint at the University of Mississippi... And then I went down to Instituto Allende in uh, San Miguel de Allende, Allende, Mexico. Mm -hmm. Somehow convinced my parents that they could send me to art school in Mexico. And when I got back from that place, I couldn't go back to Ole Miss just because I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And I went to the art academy in Memphis to finish out that story. But Bill, who's living in Memphis and still lives in Memphis, said, well, why don't you come over a couple of days a week and, you know, be my apprentice? Hmm. And I say that very loosely because the apprentice, in my case, was riding around in the right kind of light in the late afternoon. I was basically, you know, observing him how he was taking photographs that was a big big plus and then I had 
a job of printing some stuff in the dark room, and he would show me stacks of his prints, you know, hundreds of these prints. Mm-hmm. And then he had photography books, and there were not that many photography books in the early 70s. The, the one that may have made the biggest impression on me was the decisive moment by Cartier-Bresson, and he said, you know, you need to study this guy. So I did. I, I just had a lot of free time to look at photographs and, as I said, see how he was working. Probably more valuable than any formal education. Well, I think it was. I I I figured out that after some period of taking some photographs that looked very similar to Bill Eggleston's, and I have to say anybody who's taken a color photograph is after Bill Eggleston because <laughs> he's kind of covered that yeah. waterfront. But after time, I realized, you know, I've got to get out of here. So I moved to New York, and I had a Roloflex camera, an old twin-lens reflex and I thought, well, I don't want to emulate Bill Eggleston's photographs, and I've got to think of something I can do that he's not doing. And even though I was photographing in color, I decided I was going to concentrate on color portraiture. And that's what the bulk of that show is at the museum uh, from about 1979 when I got the first good color portrait that I thought was good enough till about 2008. I was still using the Roloflex, but I call those the little gems because that was a, it took me years to do it, but Mm. that was a set of photographs that I printed to see if I could possibly make a book out of that color work. And in the meantime, I had done, I'd kind of fallen off the path and done the Delta Land in 1999 and then later Delta Dogs, which is a bit of a sequel to Delta Land, uh, just the indigenous canine presence in the Delta landscape. But I became known more for the black and white landscape work, and I had the a show, my last show at the Mississippi, my first show at the Mississippi Museum of Art was in 2000 of the Delta Land landscape work. The, their, you know, black and white right. prints that were sepia toned, and there are a few of those in the show because we wanted to highlight that period. But my real heart was always with that color hmm. portraiture. So when it came time to to try to get a book together of that stuff, I couldn't find anybody that wanted to publish the book. I, ha- I, I had a photograph in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art, Houston Fine Arts, you know, some pretty prestigious mm-hmm. museums had collected the work. And I was in some group shows. I was in a show in at MoMA called The Terrors and Pleasures of Domestic Comfort, 
And I was thinking, oh, man, all this stuff is really going to put me on the map as a color photographer. But I was wrong about that, and I was not really able to get the color book, which became Mississippi History, published until 2015 when this German guy named Gerhard Steidel decided he was going to publish Hmm. Mississippi History. And, you know, if I never do another thing, that's okay, because if I do say so, it's a beautiful book. And he, the, the time, the money, the craft that went into making that book kind of makes it all worthwhile. But the, the pictures that are in the show, for the main part, or the ones that didn't make it into that book. Oh, okay. So that that was really another part of Phoenix's agenda was we want to show a few pictures mm-hmm. that people have have seen or that have been published or shown in shows, but why not present something that people have not seen? Yeah. Well, one thing is that I I love about your portraits, and especially in this exhibition, is many of them are of your own children and your family. And um, I I got to listen to your gallery talk recently, and you called your children some of your best subjects, which as a new mother just really resonated with me. Um, can you talk about having your children as the subjects of, of your photos and maybe the evolution of, of how that began? Oh, I'm sure people have put this better than I, but we were together a lot. You mm-hmm. know, as if you have a baby, you know you're going to be spending a lot of time. Lots of quality time. <laughs> uh, no, not all of it's quality, but you're going Quantity to be spending a lot of time with, with a baby and a child. Um, and somehow we didn't know how to stop, and we ended up with three of them. <laughs> And at some point, because we were thrown together so often, I got the idea that, you know, they would be good people to photograph. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd try to get them in the right light. And I did not really set out to take a portrait of children, my children, or a family life or anything of the kind. It just kind of worked out that they were my best subjects because they were relaxed Mm -hmm. and just living their lives, doing what they were doing. And after a while, it was no longer, oh, mom's there with the camera. You know, they were just doing what... Unselfconscious. Yeah, and I I like that, that I was able to get a record of that period of their lives and my life, but I didn't really set out to do it like that. But they were they were very good subjects, and I always said the criteria for any great for, photograph of a person to me was to be in the right light. Mm. So it was extra exciting if they were, you know... <laughs> In the right light. <laughs> I feel like the Delta has a lot of good light. 
specific you know, kind of light? Any place has good light if you're looking for it. Uh, for me, it's the late afternoon, that that sort of late orangey in the gloaming, mm-hmm. as the Scots say, light with, you know, the last 30 minutes before the sun goes down, sometimes the last two minutes before the sun goes down. And I never used a tripod, so I had to be my own tripod in that a lot of times I had the lens, you know, wide open, Mm. and the shutter speed was down pretty low, so I had to be still, and somehow it all worked out. Well, the the photos are beautiful, and um, one part of the exhibit that was so unexpected to me was um, the erasing Sally Mann part. Can you talk about these erasures and share with us a little bit of the of the context of your relationship with Sally Mann? Well, Sally Mann is my friend and, of course, have the utmost respect for her as a photographer. And she's a fabulous writer. You know, all these things to be completely envious of. <laughs> and uh, I had some reporter ask me recently if there was any aggression involved with the title Erasing Sally Mann. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, if there was, it was kind of subliminal and subconscious, but <laughs> maybe. But I had based that project um, on... She she sent me a print of hers, and oftentimes she, when she makes a big print in the dark room, she writes letters on the back hmm. of these prints and then sends it to the person. So it's not like I could go off and sell a, this my Sally Mann print for a million dollars. But normally, you know, when she sends these, I save them and I sometimes frame them. Mm-hmm. But but the one that she sent me this time. It smelled terrible because it, it, the fixer had not mm. been rinsed off of it. So I thought, well, I'll just hang this thing out on the clothesline and, and get the smell out. Then I got the idea, and it was a direct ripoff of Robert Rauschenberg erasing the, uh, Willem de Kooning's drawing in 1950-something which I'd read about my art history studies. <laughs> he got a, uh, he went to de Kooning's studio, got a drawing from de Kooning, and at that time de Kooning was very famous. And his art, Rauschenberg's art, was to take the whole drawing and erase it. And that wow. draw, that erased piece of paper is in the San Francisco Museum of Art oh right God. now as a Robert Rauschenberg, you know, probably would would sell for a million dollars. But after I hung the photograph out on the clothesline, I started thinking about what it what would happen to that print, uh, natural erosion, and I didn't bring it in hmm. for about a year, and 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 so in every season. You know, it got rained on, it got snowed on, um, it it naturally eroded. And you documented it. And I documented the whole process in every season, and there the couple of old sheds behind it. But um, 
Yeah, that's how that happened. And then I ended up with a bag of little bits of paper that we put on a clothesline, which is the print itself, hanging up in the museum with the documentation of the erosion. I think that's so fascinating. Does Sally Mann know? Yes. (laughs) I figured. And she may be coming here so we can talk about it. (laughs) Oh, so neat. Well, in the little bit of time we have left, what do you hope visitors to the exhibition take away with them? Um, Well, as I tell every, you know, fledgling photographer or student or anybody who's interested in photography in the least bit, it's so important to take your camera with you wherever you go, whatever you do. If you really think you might want to be a photographer, you know, that's it. Do it. And I hope people, especially kids, come to that and say, you know, well, I could have a record of my life if I kept up, kept doing this for a while. Um, I think it gives you an idea of of that place in the Delta. Sumner has a population of 400 people. What it was like to to grow up in a very small community like that, uh, and you know it's an agricultural farming community for the most part. Um, I wanted to leave a record of what that place looked like. And I hope I hope I've succeeded in that. I think you certainly succeeded. And thank you so much for taking the time today, Maudie Schuyler Clay. And thank you for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Remember to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Think Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can... Please contribute today at mpbonline.org. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together.